For those of you that may not have been here with us the past few weeks, what we've been doing this Christmas season, really from Thanksgiving to this day, is we've been looking each Sunday at a different section of verses from Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 as we've been reflecting on the Christmas story. And what we've been noticing about all these stories in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 is that the Christmas story really has the power to change us. Um, We saw Mary, who is changed by this announcement. We saw Elizabeth, who is changed. We saw Zechariah, who is changed last week. And this morning, we're going to look at another group that's changed by this Christmas story, and that group uh, of men are shepherds, uh, which we'll read about in Luke chapter 2. So we're going to read the story of Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 1 down to verse 20. So if you want to follow along, please do so. This is God's holy and inerrant word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths. And laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. I gave you one extra verse there. So, um, Before we come to this passage and talk about it, let's just take a brief moment to pray together and ask for God's help uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before Your Word this morning, um, and we confess that it's not the words of a man that we need to hear this morning. It is Your voice that we need to hear. 
It's the same voice that spoke to the blind and they received their sight, to the deaf and they were made to hear, the same voice that spoke to the lame and they were made to walk, the same voice that called even into the tombs and called the dead to life. We need to hear that voice this morning because we will not be changed. We will not be transformed by the Christmas story unless we hear the voice of our Maker and our Redeemer. So help us by your Spirit in order that we might hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, one of my kids had a project for a school. It was a science project, and it had to do with Newton's laws of motion. Um, And you may have forgotten this. Uh, Maybe this is a long time ago uh, that you remember hearing about this. Um, But physics, and it was a long time since I heard of of it, so I had to look it up online with my daughter. And um, hopefully when I say it, this will sound at least familiar to you. You'll remember a little bit of it, even though it may have been years ago for you. But Newton's first law of motion is commonly called the law of inertia. Um, and this is what, it, what the law says. It says, every object persists in its state of rest or uniform motion in a straight line unless it is compelled to change that state by forces impressed upon it. Very simple law, right? Every object stays at rest. That is, it won't change and it won't move unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it from the outside. Um, So, for example, I don't know if you can see this, but my Bible will stay here. It will not move on its own unless a force, my hand, comes from the outside and moves it. That's the law of inertia, right? And what I want to tell you this morning is that law is not just true of the physical world. Um, Mary was changed, and Elizabeth was changed, and Zechariah was changed, and these shepherds that we just read about were changed because something or someone from the outside came and compelled them to change. There was an intrusion into this world, and God Himself broke into this world, and the immortal became mortal, right? The unapproachably holy God became a child you could hold. The ideal became real, the metaphysical became physical and had flesh. The untouchable became touchable. The lofty became lowly. He broke in from the outside, and the Christmas story is saying that the way to change isn't by digging deep inside yourself. That's the narrative given to us in our Western modern culture. The Christmas story says the only way to really change, to be transformed, to become something different, is to meet the one who came into this world from the outside. So for one more Sunday, we're going to talk about how the Christmas story gives us power to change by looking at what happened to these shepherds. And there are three things that I want us to talk about in this passage. I want us to talk about the appearance of God's glory. I want us to talk about the announcement of good news in this passage. And then finally, I want us to talk about the activity it produced, okay? The appearance of God's glory, the announcement of good news, and the activity it produced. First, the appearance of God's glory. 
little children, mine have done this, yours may have done this as well, or maybe you did this when you were a child, they'll often say that they are afraid of the dark. You go to put them to bed, and they tell you, leave the light on in the bathroom, or put the nightlight in, or something like that, because I'm afraid of the dark. Well, the Bible makes almost the exact opposite point throughout. Um, The Bible says every single one of us is born into this world not afraid of the dark, but terrified of the light, right? Verse 9, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Literally in the Greek, it says that when God's glory appeared, they were filled with a great fear, or they feared with a great fear. This is the verdict, Jesus says in John chapter 3, light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The light terrifies us because it exposes and it reveals our brokenness. The appearance of God's glory, it intruded into these shepherds' lives. The appearance of His glory broke into their world, and it left these shepherds trembling in fear. And I think for us in this room, we all know something about fear, right? We're afraid of rejection. I know I am. Sometimes we are so afraid of rejection that we just, we become overly guarded in all of our relationships. We're controlled by that fear and unable to be vulnerable with others. And we find ourselves craving intimacy with others and yet terrified by that same intimacy. We're afraid of failure. I know I am. We're so afraid at times in life that we feel paralyzed to inactivity because we're controlled by this fear that we'll be found out that we're not enough, that others around us will be disappointed in us, or we're afraid of a change in our circumstances, right? We're, af- we're so afraid that we're gripped with anxiety over the unknown and the unpredictable, right? We're unable to live, it seems, at times, unable to take risks in life and live with confidence. We could go on and on like this for a while, but the bigger point that I want to make this morning is that we all are afraid. We all know what fear is, but the things we fear in this life, they are just symptoms and expressions of a deeper fear of the appearance of God's glory and His light. See, our fear of rejection, it's really a fear that we would be known for who and what we really are, and we would be revealed to be not enough. Our fear fear of failure is is this fear that this thin veneer that we've constructed to prove that we're enough, that we're significant, that we're lovable, that we're important, that it would one day crack and we would be exposed for what we really are. Our fear of changed circumstances, a fear that the familiarity and the security and the safety that we've built for ourselves, it might one day come down, and we would be exposed and vulnerable. The appearance of God's glory comes and exposes this fear beneath all our other fears. It's a light that shatters the darkness, and it makes 
any attempt to hide, absolutely futile. As far as I know, every 12-step recovery program begins with the same first step. They start, we admitted that we were powerless, and you can fill in the blank for whatever, that our lives have become unmanageable. Whatever we're powerless over, whether that's alcohol or drugs, some kind of substance or pornography or sex or grief or some kind of trauma, right? They're saying the only way to recover is to begin here. The only way to real freedom is to be done with the the illusions in your life. To find freedom, you have to come out of denial and into the light and admit the truth. To be healed, you've got to admit your sickness. What is it that has to be admitted? It's that deep down, all of us, we are at war with God. You know, this is why every time God appears to someone in His glory, they are terrified because it exposes that enmity we have between our Maker. This is why the appearance of God's glory in the burning bush, it terrified Moses. It's why the appearance of His glory at Mount Sinai terrified the people of Israel so much that they just wanted God to stop speaking altogether. It's why one day when Isaiah caught a vision of God's glory, he called down curses upon himself because of that vision. It's why one day when fishing, Peter got a glimpse of Jesus' glory, and he said, get away from me, Jesus. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Right? Every one of them were afraid because before God's perfect glory, they were exposed as sinners people at enmity with God. And I I need to move on to the second point, but before I do, let let me say this. It's very easy to give assent to this abstractly, to talk about how, yes, I'm a sinner in some vague way, but to really and personally admit and come into the light, you need to get down into the particulars of your life. You need to see that all your anger, and I know that there are angry people here this morning. You need to get down to the the bottom of your greed, and we know that there are greedy people among us this morning. To the bottom of your discontent or your dishonesty or your lust or your bitterness or whatever it is. And at the end of the day, you need to see that it is shaking your it is you shaking your fist in God's face and saying, You don't trust him that you don't want Him interfering in your life, that you, don't, that you want to run your own life, that you're in the deepest part of your being at enmity and at war with your Maker. And I've got to ask at this first point if you've done that, because everyone in the Bible who caught a glimpse of God's glory was forced to their knees to admit that. And you cannot have freedom until you come out of that denial and admit your sickness, your brokenness, your fallenness. Okay, second, let's talk about the announcement of good news. The news does get better from this this point forward. We just said the appearance of God's glory terrifies us because it exposes us, but Jesus' own disciple, 
Peter wrote in 1 Peter, um, the same Peter I just mentioned about being terrified, he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, God called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. And so my question is, in the second point, is what turns the appearance of God's glory from something to be feared into something you would call wonderful? And the answer is this announcement of good news that comes in this passage. Fear not, the angel said in verse 10, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. So what is this announcement of good news? Verse 11, it was that a Savior who is Christ the Lord has been born, the Messiah, the King, right? The promised deliverer had come. That was the news. But even more, the heavenly choir was singing, was announcing in verse 14, peace to those. Peace to who? Why is it talking about peace? Because we have been at war with God, at enmity with Him, and the good news was that God Himself was coming to end that hostility and to make peace between us and Himself. God was breaking in from the outside to pronounce peace, to announce that Jesus, God's own King, His own Son, had come to reconcile the world to Himself. He came so we could appear before the light of His countenance and bask in His delight and in His pleasure in us. And that's good news. I mean, that turns the appearance of God's glory in His face from something to be feared into something wonderful. He came to deliver you from the fear of not being enough, from the fear of being found out, from the fear of being exposed and rejected because of that exposure. But listen, there's something else in this announcement of good news that deals with our fear and also hints at how this king would reconcile the world to himself. The reformer Martin Luther wrote, divinity may terrify man, inexpressible majesty will crush him. Are you afraid of God? Luther asked. He places before you a baby with whom you can take refuge. The announcement was that God's glory had taken on flesh and was, verse 12, wrapped in swaddling claws. Do you see how small He was? How unthreatening He was? How vulnerable He became? How approachable this King came for you? We can go even further, right, because of verses 1 through 7. They tell us that this child wasn't sealed off in some unapproachable palace. His earthly parents, Joseph and Mary, had traveled to Bethlehem, and they couldn't find room in the inn. And so he was born in a dirty stable and placed in a feed trough in a manger. You know, I think we all know this. Um, There is always room at the inn if you have the right connections or the right amount of money. There is always room at the end for you. You can always find a room. See, this announcement was that Jesus would be a king like the world had never seen. Right? He would be born in obscurity, out in the elements, born in poverty, a king without status, a king approachable by absolutely anyone. 
You know, it's major news. My, my little news thing on my iPhone has been blowing up about Prince Harry uh, the past couple of weeks, getting engaged. Um, it's big news when, when famous people like that, right, when Prince William and Kate announce the upcoming birth of a child. It's big news. So here, where do you send a birth announcement for an upside-down king like this? You send it to shepherds who, with the exception of lepers, were the lowest class of people in Israel. Because of their jobs, they couldn't keep the ceremonial law and therefore were unclean and unallowed to enter into the temple and worship. They were, consi- they were generally considered thieves and liars, and so they weren't, shepherds were not allowed to give any testimony in a court of law. These were the unclean outcasts and outsiders, and I hope you know what this means. It means it does not matter who you are or what you've done in this life or where you have been. You can come to this king, this upside-down king. And see, every bit of this hints at how this king would make peace for us. He was going to be a king who wouldn't reign by strength but through weakness. He wouldn't prove his greatness by the amount of servants he had at his beck and call, but by being a servant to his people. He wouldn't deliver his people by might and power, but through his death. He wouldn't be untouchable by the masses, but vulnerable and hurtable and bruisable and killable for the masses. He was a king who came to die for his people, Now, let me ask you this question. What if someone from outside of you, someone who had a truly objective view about who you are, someone who saw you through and through, someone who knew your deep enmity and hostility with him, what if that was the same someone who would also come and make himself small and vulnerable so that he could die for you? When that announcement of good news breaks into and upon your heart, it will turn the appearance of God's glory from something to be feared into something truly wonderful and life-giving. Angels showed up out in this field and announced this good news to shepherds. Peter, the same Peter we've been talking about several times this morning, he wrote this about angels in 1 Peter chapter 1. He wrote, even angels long to look into the wonders of God's salvation. They long to look into it. He's saying, God's angels, they never tire of this story of God breaking in from the outside to make peace. They never grow weary of this story of the upside-down king who came from the outside to rescue those who were his enemies through his life, death, and resurrection. Right In 1 Peter, the word that gets translated long to look into, in the Greek, it's this word epithemio. And I get why the English translators translate it that way, to long to look into, because they're trying to avoid the sexual overtones of that word. Because in most places in your Bible, the word epithemia, it is translated lust. 
right? What Peter is saying is he's saying with burning, passionate, intense desire, these angels reflect on this announcement of good news. The king of kings who became a child, this upside-down king who came to die for his people to reconcile them to his father. And I need to ask the question, what about us? I mean, are we burning with passionate desire to know more and more of this story, to get it deeper and deeper into our bones? Because that's what will change us. And Mary is a great example of that in this passage, because that's what Mary is doing in verse 19. She treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. That word treasured means to hold on to in the memory, to not let go of it. And that word ponder actually means to converse. She was rehearsing and telling herself this story over and over and over. Why? Because it's this announcement of good news that has the power to radically change us, that God Himself knew exactly who and what we were, and He broke in from the outside and came to pronounce peace between us and Himself. All right, finally, let's talk about the activity this announcement produced. To use C.S. Lewis' words here a little bit, a cleft had opened in the pitiless walls of the world, and God had broken in from the outside with an announcement of good news, and it changed everything. It changed these shepherds. It produced real activity. When they had seen Jesus in verse 17 and on, it tells us that these shepherds made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. The shepherds eventually went out and told everyone this news about Jesus. But here's my question. It's, I guess, doesn't that seem a little unfair? Um, because here's what I mean. The lowly, unclean shepherds, they got a heavenly choir and an appearance of the glory of the Lord. Everyone else got dirty, unclean shepherds, Right? And naturally, every one of us wants angels, not shepherds. We want, uh, you know, the spectacular, not the ordinary. We want the extravagance, not the plainness. We want shock and awe, not commonness. But this is the point of this story. The power wasn't in the messengers, but in the message and the announcement of good news. The story doesn't say the shepherds went out and told everyone about their amazing experience with the angels, because that wasn't the point. They went telling the amazing news about this child, this announcement of good news that God and sinners were now reconciled through God's own Son, the King of Kings. And that, that's the news that changed these shepherds and that can change you too. That's the news that turns shepherds into heralds. Do you remember something I said all the way back at the beginning? The narrative of our culture is that the way you change is by digging deep inside of yourself. And that's exactly how many of us have been trying to change. And that's how many of us have been trying to deal with our fears and our anxieties and our shame and our guilt. Here's a couple ways we do it. Negatively. Negatively, we try to motivate ourselves with the same fear and shame and guilt that plagues us. We tell ourselves things like, if anyone really knew, 
this about you, they would be so disgusted with you. You would be rejected if anyone knew. So you better change. You better get your act together. And that has the power to change your behavior for about three days, maybe five. Um, But when it wears off, you're back in the cycle, back in the cycle of shame, guilt, and fear. Or positively, we reason that the way we can really deal with our guilt and our shame and our fear is through digging deep to to form some kind of positive self-image about ourselves. And so we say, well, I just need to tell myself over and over how beautiful, how worthy, how important, how, how I'm enough. I need to tell myself that over and over. But most of you realize how short-lived that is, right? You can tell yourself a million times a day that you're beautiful, but one person you care about comes and says, you're ugly, and you're ugly, right? One person from the outside says to you, you're ugly, and it wipes away everything you've told yourself. You can tell yourself how important you are, but one person from the outside comes and makes you feel less than, and all the positive self-talk is out the window, and you're crushed. The only thing that can really produce the activity of a changed life is an announcement of good news from, the out, from outside of you, a pronouncement, a verdict from outside of you is the only thing that will ever compel you to real and lasting change. Let me give you… Here's what I'm going to do as we, we bring this to a close. I'm going to give you an illustration that I've used a hundred times. So, if you've heard it before, act like you haven't. And then I'm going to give you a quote, um, and then just a little bit of application will be done. This illustration comes from a um, day years ago when I was at Liberty Land, and it was on this hot summer day, and I noticed people while I was there pointing and staring and giggling at something. Um, And I turned to see what it was, and what it was was a little girl, probably eight or nine years old, and she was playing under this mist machine um, with her father. And these mist machines were on these pathways, and you'd walk under them to get cooled off and all of that. And under this particular mist, uh, mist machine, a puddle had formed, and they were just splashing in it, and they were dancing. And at one point, he lifted his daughter up on his shoulders, and they were spinning around, and they were just, they were laughing, having a great time. And everyone was staring, and everyone was whispering, and everyone was pointing and giggling, because this girl, this little girl, was horribly physically deformed. Without a picture, I know I can't do it justice to explain how awkward the asymmetry of her body was. On one side of her body, the arm and leg were at least two or three times larger than the arm and leg on the other side of her body. And it looked painful, and it looked awkward, and it looked strange. And for a moment, I was just angry. Um, You know, how dare these kids laugh at her and point at her and whisper about her? And right then is when I realized that this little girl was oblivious to it all. I mean, her eyes were locked in her father's eyes, and she was basking in his delight, in his approval, in his enjoyment of her. 
And so nothing else mattered. No one else mattered. In his eyes, she was beautiful. She was lovable. She was significant. And she was enough. And it set her free from any fear or insecurity or shame. It was the verdict of someone outside of her that changed her. And great as that father was, I don't have no idea whoever he was, he was still a broken sinner. And his love for his daughter was just a dim hint. It, it, it pales in comparison to God's love of you. For you, he sent his son into the world as a vulnerable child who would one day be killed for you. Why? Because that's how much he loved you. Because that's the length he would go to make peace between you and himself. That's an announcement of good news that produces activity. It sends you out changed. 19th century preacher Thomas Chalmers wrote, Thus it is that the freer the gospel, the more sanctifying the gospel. And the more it is received as a doctrine of grace, the more it will be felt as a doctrine according to godliness. And you hear what he's saying. He's saying the freer the gospel verdict, that you are accepted and loved completely and fully in Jesus, the more it will produce activity of a changed life in you. A verdict from the outside compels the change. Chalmers went on, on the tenure of do this and live, a spirit of fearfulness is sure to enter. It is only when, as in the gospel, acceptance is bestowed as a present without money and without cost that the security which man feels in God is placed beyond the reach of disturbance, that the truest gladness of his heart lies in the impulse of gratitude by which it is awakened to the charms of a new moral existence. The announcement of good news, it is bestowed to you as a present to all who believe. It is a verdict from the outside which is placed beyond the disturbance beyond the reach of disturbance by you or anyone else in your life. And when that gets into your heart, it awakens in you the charms of a new moral existence, change, activity produced. And it's when you lock eyes with your Father and bask in His delight and enjoyment of you because of Jesus that you will be compelled to change, to be like these shepherds and become heralds of good news, glory, to God and the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel this morning. We thank you for this time of year with, and how it is with renewed focus. We consider the wonders of the Incarnation and how we long for Jesus, our Lord and Savior, to come again, to fully restore and renew us. But Father, we pray now that this good news from the outside, your verdict of us in Jesus, that we pray that it would indeed compel us to change, that it would make us different because of what you have done for us in Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.